Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of Lit AF with me, your host, Sarah Cohan. As always, I'm so excited to be here with you this week, serving up real, raw, honest, vulnerable conversations about personal and spiritual growth. It is my jam to be here and having these conversations. And I'm so excited about this week's guest. Her name is Rachel Besser. This is her second time on the podcast. She is an amazing shadow work coach. She really helped me with my own dense shadow during my healing process, which of course is still ongoing. And we talk about healing our fearful avoidant attachment style. So this is one of my favorite things to talk about. Something that we talk about during the episode is how we're all a little bit fearful avoidant, (laughs) but some of us just lean a little more anxious or dismissive avoidant, depending on which side of the spectrum you're on. So I hope that even if you don't identify as a fearful avoidant, this conversation is still useful to to you because the, the whole thing about the fearful avoidant is that where we flip from the anxious preoccupied to dismissive avoidant, sometimes in a moment's notice. And so there's definitely tools and lessons for everyone involved. <laughs> it has been maybe the most rewarding experience to heal my own fearful avoidant attachment style and being on the road to secure. I just have a huge boost of confidence. My like codependency is subtly disappearing, slowly disappearing. It's not subtle. It's just slow. And it's made for like stronger relationships in my marriage and in my work and with friends. And and I just love it. Something that Rachel says in the episode as well is that we have attachment styles to things, like concepts, not just people. And we get into that a little bit. So I'm so excited for this, <laughs> obviously. I could go on and on in this intro, basically rehashing everything in the episode, but I'm not going to. Before I start every episode, I do my own check-in. And this week's check-in, I am going to share about my anxious spiral. So I've been in an anxious spiral. I talk about it a little bit on this episode. And it has been the most intense experience and the biggest blessing. It started right after the opening of the Lion's Gate um, on August 9th. And I'm still in it. I'm not going to lie. It's now three weeks later when this episode will air. And I think that usually when I'm in one of these um, anxious spirals, so we talk about it in this episode, but it's very common for fearful avoidance to um, kind of backslide with their progress. I don't want to say backslide because that makes it sound like there's like some sort of level of growth that I'm at. Like it's really just a circle. So maybe really what's happening is I'm going back to the beginning of the circle right now of the spiral. And I've just been so incredibly anxious. I've been questioning everything. My perspective and my projection is just so incredibly negative. It's seeing everything in just the worst light possible. And it's been a ride. So I've been really sinking into the feelings and asking my feelings like what exactly they do believe and really getting in touch with those core wounds that are coming up. And I got to tell you, there's just been so much stuff that I have absolutely been sweeping under the rug. 
It feels so good to just say that out loud because I think that I'm always trying to learn tools and practice new tools and implement, implement, grow, grow, learn and learn. And this has just been a time of sinking (laughs) into what is and sitting with that. And so it's been really hard. It hasn't been very comfortable. It's definitely tainted a lot of my worldview currently, but it's also part of who I am. It's part of my life. Like I'm just really (laughs) not trying to skip through it. I think that that's like my thesis statement about it all. It's just like instead of trying to rush through it, instead of trying to self-care, meditate, take a bath, um, do the yoga nidra all day long until I don't feel this way, I'm really asking myself what the F is going on. Because if I don't ask what the F is going on, then I'm not going to be able to start to heal those deeper wounds. So I went to a breathwork sound healing last week. It was so good. And I literally cried like a baby at the end, like actual heaving sobs. So proud of myself. I was in a room of like 20 people. Actually, I was outside. So I was outside on a beautiful roof deck with 20 other people just sobbing like a baby and being that inner child that was so worried about money and resources and being abandoned and not being chosen. And just that moment of like being with her and like letting her cry and then like holding her felt so good, like so good. It give It's giving me newfound love for inner child work. I have a running theory that those that lean more dismissive avoidant um, tend to need to do more shadow work. And those that lean anxious preoccupied tend to need to do more inner child work. So if I'm in an anxious spiral, it does make sense that I'm doing way more inner child work right now. And it's so helpful. So just sitting, sitting with my inner child, letting her cry, letting her be exactly who she is and letting her know that that's enough has been really huge. So huge. So that's my check-in for this week. (laughs) It's a little um, a heavier check-in than normal, but it's so real and so honest, and that's why I'm here. So I did um, did want to share that with you. All right, that's it for announcements. Now let's get into this week's episode. Hello, Rachel Besser, and welcome back to Lit AF. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so excited to have you back. Me too. I always get a little stage fright when I talk to you on these things, but I feel like that's the move is to call it out and then just- That is definitely the move. With it all together. Always. I feel like your guests are here holding my hand. Exactly. Exactly. I gave a wedding speech last weekend at a wedding and I like held up the microphone. I don't usually get stage fright, but if I really, really deeply care about the audience, like all of them, like I did at this wedding, I like get a little stage fright and I just, my voice was like all shaky and I was like, just say it, just say that you're nervous. (laughs) Just say it and it'll make it go away. Because we're talking about fearful avoidance, right? Spoiler. And you said just now that um, when you care about the audience, then you get stage fright. And I feel like that is so fearful avoidant. If you don't care about the people, then there's like no emotional charge. No emotional charge. I can just – I can block it out. Exactly. And I don't care. Exactly. I can do whatever I want. Yeah, exactly. 
Spoiler alert. I love that. So today, a shadow work coach, Rachel, I don't know if I've already said that. Rachel is a shadow work coach. She is amazing. Highly recommend working with her. She helped me with my very dense shadow. I've learned so much from her. And I always love having her on the podcast. And today we're going to talk about recovering from both of our fearful avoidant attachment styles. It's a big one. Okay, we got to lay down and count to 10 for a minute. <laughs> fearful avoidant stuff. It's heavy. It's heavy. But I feel like a lot of people are going to relate because I don't know anyone who doesn't have some fragment of fearful avoidant programming. Exactly. Like never anyone. Exactly. Yeah. And you and I hosted a bunch of clubhouse rooms back in this spring of this year. And I feel like everyone in our rooms would be like, raise their hand and be like, yeah, I'm a fearful avoidant. And our other co-host, Flora Ong, would be like, I've never seen this many fearful avoidance. Like population-wise, yeah. this doesn't make sense. And I'm like, no, it makes sense. <laughs> this checks out. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like I've never really met any secure people really either. Like 100% secure yeah, because you know why? This, I feel a little shadowy making this joke in the public eye, but I personally like to say that it's okay if you're not really 100% secure because 100% secure people are boring and not funny. I think I said that on the last podcast. I probably, and I'll tell you what, I'm certainly not attracted to them. <laughs> I'm like, you're not messy enough. <laughs> give, give me some you're enough. Yeah. You're not reading my cues that I'm not giving out. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. Okay, so let's start. We've talked a lot about fearful avoidance, so I'm so sorry for anyone listening that is not familiar with attachment styles, but I thought we could just start by defining the fearful avoidant attachment style slash I want to give a shout out to disorganized attachment style, which is another way of saying fearful avoidant. Yes, yes. Anxious avoidant. There's another one, ambivalent, anxious, ambivalent, avoidant. Anxious, ambivalent. That's hilarious. I feel like ambivalent is the perfect way to describe dismissive avoidant. I feel like ambivalent is like the The middle part. I'm going to go between the two. Yeah. Oh, wow. Wow. Well, you want to kick us off on this one? Sure. For me, I like to identify the whole spectrum as like anxious on one end, and that's the clinging strategies. And I like to think of it as the strategies, not like the identity profile, because then it's too easy to latch on and be like, I am anxious and avoid all the ways in which you are actually avoidant too. So thinking of it as actions you take, strategies, activating, deactivating strategies. On the one activating side, you have the anxious, clinging. And then on the other side, you have the avoidant, pushing, creating space. And then the movement between the two is the fearful avoidant, is the disorganized, is the anxious avoidant. So, hey, Mr. Bird. Yeah, that's <laughs> so distracting. <laughs> he's a fearful boy. Obviously. No, I think he's probably uh, more anxious, actually. Oh, I feel like a lot of pets are. I would be too if I didn't know what the next thing would be in my life or my next meal. Right. Imagine how present you'd be, though. Oh, God. As a normal, you'd have no internal monologue. It's just existing. Yeah, it's just here now. No. Anyway, fearful avoidant, disorganized. What was your question? Sorry, I'm already <laughs> okay. Yeah. So I think I <laughs> know. I think you just defined it. It's the oscillation between anxious, preoccupied, and dismissive avoidant. And I never really understood why disorganized was used as a title for this style until I was read, reading a book called We Do, and it's a 
book about marriage and there's like one quick chapter about attachment style. And he talks about it's a disorganized attachment style because you like use both strategies. And honestly, I feel like you kind of don't know when or why you're using which one. And that's why it's called disorganized. And it's like, oh, you just described me. Like, I don't know why or even how I'm using these strategies often when I'm using or just kind of dropping into them. So I feel like that kind of helps with context of like, you know, both styles and you like flip between the two and so unconscious. Yeah. And it's so chaotic too. Like I remember feeling so out of control and I wouldn't understand when or why the flip would happen. Cause in my most turbulent fearful avoidant days, it'd probably be like a couple weeks leaning more anxious and then avoidance spell and like hard pushing, but then flipping back to, it's like this desperate, I want you so close to me, but get the fuck away from me at the same time. And my therapist, I remember at the time, my therapist would do this hand motion. She'd be like, come here, go away, come here, go away. And I'm like, yeah, that's what it feels like. And one, it's like, if I just had one, it would feel wrong. If I had someone just coming to me, I'd be like, no, this is, something's not right. But then if they're only keeping their distance, then it's like, wait, come back. Wait, come back to me. So, so confusing to deal with, but enlightening to learn about attachment. Enlightening to learn about. For those of you listening, Rachel is literally like holding one hand away and calling very profusely with the other hand. (laughs) So like stop and then also like get over here right now. It's like a red and green light at the same time. At the same time, yes. Imagine driving in heavy, heavy traffic with red lights and green lights all the time. That is the emotional experience of the For anyone who doesn't relate, I hope now you do. Yeah, I hope you get it now. (laughs) And I'm sorry for everyone who does relate. It gets better. It gets better. It gets better. And there are some gifts, I think, that come along with it, but we'll get into that. We'll get into that. So I'm curious, how would you describe your own unique expression of fearful avoidant attachments now? I feel like... I would have to categorize that into different phases of my life because they're in my early, well, I'd say my teens, I was very avoidant. And then early 20s with certain relationships, super anxious. And then with other relationships, super avoidant. So I kind of had like a, I guess you'd call it a comfort zone or not even a comfort zone, like a reset space on that spectrum meaning I'd come back to a certain amount of anxious or I'd come back to a certain degree of avoidant and I'd have these chaotic episodes when I got triggered and then eventually return back to wherever I was on the timeline. Now I feel like I'm, I lean pretty avoidant on my worst days and it's, I keep thinking about the green light, red light thing because that's really the experience. And for me, it's like desperately wanting closeness from my partner, romantic interest, whoever is filling up that role. Sometimes it even happens with close friends. Like, like you said earlier, it's the degree of connection I have with one person that really pushes on the fearful avoidant stuff for me. So with strangers, virtually unbothered. Yeah. And for me, I remember this happened recently too, experiencing that chaos in the moment in relationship to another person that I'm romantically interested in. It's like so intense that I dissociate sometimes. 
And I'm like, it's so easy to internalize that experience too and make it mean that there's something wrong with me or that I'm the reason this relationship is going south, even though it's not. It's like all these grand assumptions about things that are not true. For me, I would say, and I just I just recorded a comedy special for my website about this. It's my personal and spiritual growth path. I say in this comedy special, I'm like, it is as if my body is a candy store and then inside is like a haunted house. And I'm like, come on over. Like, I want to give you some sweet, sweet candy, but it's poisoned mm-hmm. because I want you to get the fuck away from me. Like, I don't actually want you near me. I know. It's so sick and twisted. That's a great analogy. <laughs> I thought you'd like that. I feel like another analogy too, as the fearful avoidant sort of assessing other people's candy stores is they assume that everyone's a haunted house. They assume that every candy store is also a haunted house. Because a huge thing about fearful avoidance that I know you know is this incredible trust wound. And that's that's probably the core of it for me. It's so hard to trust people. And it's that desperate wanting to trust and just being so terrified. So terrified. Because of all the childhood trauma associated with that trust wound. It doesn't come from nowhere, you know, so. Right. It's made for a reason, but then it's, you know, as an adult, probably not as helpful as it could be. Yeah. Until you learn to channel it. (laughs) We'll get there. We'll get there. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We're going to get to good stuff. Okay, so I'm so curious, how did it feel for the very first time when you like first found out that you were a fearful avoidant attachment style? How did it feel to like acknowledge it? Well, I first learned about attachment theory in college and it was very basic, anxious, avoidant, disorganized. And I was like, oh, that sounds like me. But it wasn't like a click moment. And my therapist at the time would mention like, oh, this is anxious, avoidant, attachment style. That's you. She would call it anxious, avoidant. When I learned about, like, did the deep dive of attachment theory and learned about disorganized attachment style and all the strategies, like specific strategies that go with it and the thoughts and behaviors, I was like, oh my God, I'm not the only person like this. I thought there was something wrong with me. Like, I thought this was just baggage, that this was my stuff. So learning there's like a formula to create thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of humans with this specific set of behaviors and fears and thoughts and programs, subconscious programs was like, oh, if there's a factory setting on this attachment style, basically, then there's a way to reset it. So it helps me depersonalize a lot of my experiences. And that's why I kind of push it in my own coaching practice too now. I'm like, it's funny because I always kind of feel bad saying that like, you're not special because of your trauma. Like, I hope that that's I hope that that's endearing because you're not special because of your trauma. So many people have this problem, which means you can solve it. It's so solvable. It's a solvable problem. Yeah. Yeah. But some fearful avoidance just really like to sit in that trauma. I feel like I know know a few of those. Totally. Totally. That reminds me of that Bessel van der Kolk book, Body Keeps the Score. I was talking about this with a friend yesterday and the chemical addiction to emotions and like specific emotional experiences. And I think they mention fearful avoidance specifically in a section of the book and say that when someone who is addicted to chaos, aka the fearful avoidant, when there's a certain amount of peace in their life for a certain amount of time, they will go out of their way to subconsciously create that chaos again, because the chaos is in the comfort zone. 
Our comfort zones in the chaos, rather. <laughs> Feels like both for me sometimes. <laughs> I would say I felt very similarly when I found out my attachment style. Rachel was a part of me figuring out my attachment style. I don't even know if you like knew immediately upon meeting me that I was an FA or if it was like, well, wait. Everyone was. Yeah, that's smart. Time. That's smart. That's smart. That's smart. So when I found out, I was so relieved. It was so similar. It was like, holy moly. It's not just me. I'm not just this unique, like beautiful, shiny snowflake that has all of this baggage and trauma and like making up stories and can't catch a break and like never seeming to be able to get out of a trigger or like climb out of a core wound. Finding out that there are other people like this was like probably the most relaxing thing. And I've heard that it's really, that's really common for fearful avoidance of like oh, I can heal. Like I can feel better. Like show me the way. Yeah. I'm thinking of all the different patterns I've seen in fearful avoidance in my sphere. And it's like, I feel like most of them have a huge desire for growth and a huge like proclivity for growth. You just do it. One of their core, I don't know, elements, core identifiers. For sure. But also maybe an addiction. Yeah. Yeah, because it ties into that core wound that I don't know if this is exclusively a fearful avoidant thing, but something's wrong with me. And but if I'm constantly growing and changing, then I can fix whatever's wrong with me. Exactly. And I can pretend like I'm working on it. So yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious to the other have you seen other attachment styles react the same way to finding out their style? Oh my God, actually I haven't. Not with the same intensity, like gusto. I've seen anxious preoccupieds have like a relief, a moment of relief, but it doesn't ever seem as intense as the fearful avoidance. And I imagine dismissive avoidance are like, just don't. We don't. Yeah, they're like, I don't have, there's no problem here. Yeah. Please move along. I don't know what you're talking about. We're good. We're fine. Never better. Uh, yeah. Get away. <laughs> Please leave. <laughs> I don't want this attention. Yeah. <laughs> to anyone that identifies as these attachment styles, we are like merely joking and we're saying this with so much love because we identify, I personally have identified as all of the different attachment styles across the spectrum. And I have a certain, like, I love dismissive avoidance because. I think it's my fearful avoidant, like wanting to create justice for underdogs and stuff. So I see a lot of DA bullying on Facebook groups and stuff. And they're like, he's avoidant. And I'm like, no, no, shh. He's perfect. He's perfect. perfect. Maybe not, but you know. (laughs) They're doing everything they can. They are. They really are. And they're so sensitive. I think that's a misconception. Usually avoidants are more sensitive than anxious. How did you start to heal your attachment style? <laughs> I went to therapy. Where do we <laughs> begin? Therapy. <laughs> I went to therapy. And uh, it was really interesting to get into attachment style specific healing work. That's when I joined the personal development school. And that was really, really interesting because it was so uniform and like, like a recipe for everything almost so I like that element of control and coloring in the lines per se in my healing journey but yeah it was a lot of research and then after a while I just started experimenting with different behaviors because there's a certain point when you like you can learn all 
all the things on paper and read books and listen to podcasts and stuff and see like, oh, I do that. Yeah, this is a thing in my life. This is a thought that I think. This is a pattern, so on and so forth. But I've noticed that that, you have to have that moment a certain amount of times before you can really depersonalize or disidentify from it and really say, like, own it and say, oh, I am perpetuating this pattern. I'm contributing. I'm participating in this dynamic, even with things that, like, feel very external oriented, for example, constantly being abandoned or left out of things or excluded. On the surface level, it seems like, oh, you're a victim to the situation. But pretty much every time there's a degree of participation, even if it's withdrawing your availability to being included, things like that. So for me, I started just experimenting and trying to communicate differently. That was a huge piece too, is just communicating my feelings and thoughts and perceptions in a way that was not about the other person. Like I'd say, instead of you did this, I'd say, I feel hurt because this happened. That was huge. So incorporating more vulnerability into my communication and then boundaries were a huge thing. And I feel like that is really when I pivoted away from the anxious side of the spectrum for my baseline, because I learned that I can have boundaries and still have friends. <laughs> like before it was like boundaries equals rejection. People won't want to hang out with me if I have boundaries. So previously boundaries meant that you would be abandoned. Is that like a correct statement? Yes. Abandoned and rejected. It's almost like... I was journaling about this last night, actually, is I feel like if I, not present moment, but when I'm triggered on the extreme end, when I want to express something to someone that I really care about, and I'm terrified to do that, I'm afraid that they're not only going to reject and not hold space for what I want to share with them, but they're also going to leave. So it's like compounded rejection, abandonment. That is... And that's why I think I almost associate each core wound, like rejection versus abandonment with the opposite ends of the attachment spectrum. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So abandonment is like the anxious side. The anxious anxious strategies are a consequence of the abandonment wound and then rejection for the avoidant. And they do overlap like on a more finessed version. If you look a little deeper, they do exist on both sides, but for a baseline, when you're looking at the strategies and like how I'm participating in certain dynamics, usually my strategies coincide with rejection, avoidance strategies, abandonment, anxious strategies. And I've seen that a lot with clients too. So I love a good framework. <laughs> oh yeah. You're the best at those. I love that. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. So, I mean, for me, I started with the classic exercises from the personal development school of like guilt and shame and tracking my guilt and shame meter throughout the day. (laughs) It was crazy. I just didn't even realize how often I was guilting and shaming myself. It was constant. (laughs) Like we're stupid shit. I feel like that is an ever evolving, not specifically to attachment styles, but just like growth in general is always uncovering another layer of subconscious thought because if we have what 70,000 thoughts in a day and we're only aware of like what a hundred of them at first before you start getting into mindfulness and stuff it's just layers and layers and layers more and 
I think part of the healing journey is bringing those subconscious thoughts to a conscious level. That has to do with the participation factor too. Because if you're constantly bullying yourself in your mind, of course you're going to cut off your receptivity to the things you want. Exactly. Right, 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 right. Because it, it's too painful. It's too, it was too much. Yeah. Was there a specific type of guilt you experience or like a certain trigger for you around guilt? They're always around work. And of course, I like can't figure out a work example right now. Funny. Does it have to do with contribution? I think it's contribution. Yeah. And then of course, like connection and being significant. Like all of these are my very much like my needs. And I just remember like journaling every day and being like, this is a long list. This is such a long list. (laughs) I know what you mean. It's like overwhelming at first. Yeah. And then it kind of got, and then I was like, okay, now we're just going to stop. And I like throughout this work, I'm always like, okay, so whenever I just feel the guilt and shame thought, I'm just going to stop it. And I was like, no, 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 no. That's not, that's not the way either. Like we need to like dig into it, explore it, feel it, like understand where it's coming from. And then we need to like give it what it needs or ask it like, (laughs) what's the opposite thought that we can just feel into right now gently? It's not like just stop that feeling and everything's going to be fine. Like, no, (laughs) that's not the point of this work. You know what I just thought of while you're talking about that is every avoidant listening is probably like, oh, so, what the fuck? That is so much effort. Like, why would I ever want? My life is fine. You know what? I'm, I'm doing enough here. You are and you are. Don't ever stop. Yeah. And it does feel like a lot at first. But for me, I remember feeling so in control, like going through that whole process of, okay, this is the thought, questioning it, validating this, invalidating that, identifying the wants, identifying the needs and the boundaries. It gave me that feeling of control that I was looking for outside myself. Mm, I love that. I love that. And I feel like the need for control, which I think is related to freedom, is so important for the fearful avoidant. Like so important. Yeah. Oof. Have you experienced this as a fearful avoidant? It's like, I notice this a lot for myself and with other extreme FAs is you have a strong desire for security, but an equally as strong desire for freedom. And sometimes you have to choose or it feels like you have to choose. So when you have security, you're also trapped. And then when you have all the freedom, you're not secure. There's no security. A hundred percent. You just described my last year of my life. <laughs> this year I've chosen freedom and it's so chaotic. Oh my God. I'm like floating around a different zip code every three weeks. Where's your security? How do you do it? You know what? I feel like this phase of my life is teaching me that it has to come from myself. And before it was very much like, okay, I can stay here and I can stay in this job and I can live in this place and... I have this amount of friends that I get this amount of connection from, but ultimately, geez, I feel like my process, which is why I, I feel shadowy saying this, but I'm a good coach and I feel like the reason reason I am is because I have to fuck up every way that you can fuck up before Mm, I get it right. 100%. Same when I was a horseback riding instructor is I had every single flaw in the book and that's why I could see it in my students. 
And that's how you learned how to fix, not fix, I don't use the word fix, but that's how you learned how to work with it. <laughs> yeah. And sustainable change and understanding what it feels like. Cause I think oftentimes it's easy to look at this stuff on surface level and sort of like think about it on a surface level. Oh, there's a word here. Cerebral. Mm. <laughs> Say they're on a cerebral level, but especially for a fearful avoidance and changing to a more secure attachment style, the biggest element that I've seen that actually works is getting in touch with the energy that already exists within, within you, the chaotic energy that's always looking for something new and also looking for security and like very ruthless about the ways that it will go about getting those things and harnessing it and working with it. Mm, love that. I want to do that more in my life. <laughs> I feel like I'm hearing back what I just said in my head. I'm like, that sounds intense, but I also feel like that is very epic. Very epic, 100%. Uh, another important thing for me that Rachel was very much a part of. So I'm a fearful avoidant, leaning dismissive avoidant. Who knows why? It could be because I'm in a marriage with a beautiful anxious, preoccupied human. I don't know. I don't want to blame him. I think I probably came this way. <laughs> is he pushing more? Yeah. Is he pushing me more dismissive? Am I pushing him more anxious? We'll never know because we're just in this ball of an insecure attachment style, which is so lovely. My husband listens to every episode, so I love you, baby. <laughs> and I'm sorry I just outed your attachment style, but it's for education purposes. So – yeah. yeah, we see you. We see you. So I lean more dismissive avoidant and I like could not even identify when I start first started working with Rachel, my feelings. She would be like, okay, so tell me what this like fear feels like. And I'd be like, it looks like it's gray. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. And I remember thinking, that's not really it, but you'll get there when you get there. I can't make you go there. You can hold space for it. Yeah. You held such beautiful, beautiful space. Oh, thank you. And it was just this lovely, just like coaxing of like, okay, like maybe what's underneath that? Or like, what temperature does it have? And just like kept trying to like explore, 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 explore. To the point where I actually recorded my own feelings meditation, which is available on my website. But it like, and then I just did it every single night where I felt my feelings every single night for like probably two months. And that was the most beautiful experience because then I could start to parse out all the different feelings that I was feeling. But as a dismissive avoidant, that was like so painful at first oh, to start. Yeah. Oh, that's why I have so much like, I don't want to say love for dismissive avoidance because I know what it feels like to feel unsafe in your own body, just experiencing emotions and really being averse to feeling emotions and going out of your way to feel emotions. So when I sit with someone who is not quite there, experience, it almost feels like I'm holding them, holding the space. Oh. It feels like they can't do it on their own. And I say that as the person who genuinely thought that I couldn't no. do it on my own. Yeah. So. It's true. It's really, really scary. It's really powerful. And I feel like what you just described is the recipe for uncovering your intuition, which I don't know. I'm like hopping ahead. We're hopping ahead. We're going to get there. I'm so excited. <laughs> that is, that's, it. that's exactly what I was talking about, harnessing the chaotic energy. Because I think, I mean, I don't know the the statistics or the physiology behind the formation of attachment styles specifically 
aside from like whatever they talk about and body keeps the score, like certain traumas create certain chemical reactions in your body, which create the imprints. And then we repeat the imprints over and over and recreate or reinforce them unconsciously over time. I theorize that someone who has a very extreme fearful avoidant attachment style from a super young age, like that's their core imprint, that's their foundational imprint, is probably going to experience emotions more intensely than someone who's raised secure, just like physiologically. But by tapping into that and sort of like helping your body become a container for all that chaos and energy stuff, you learn to translate it and harness it and put it to use and sort of like if you need to put it in a box and save it for later you can also do that but yeah I think that's like that bridge to getting really in touch with your intuition like I'm not saying psychic level but like maybe I think so (laughs) I think so I do but yeah, okay, we're gonna okay, we're gonna get into that. Before we hop there, I wanna just keep moving forward on other ways to heal. I feel like really leaning into my emotions, and this kind of ties into what you were saying of like being vulnerable. I really pushed myself to start crying in front of other people. And that was like Aww. huge. It was so huge. Cause like before my dismissive avoidant would be like, nope, like you can't give them that power of like seeing you so vulnerable. And then showing up in front of a group of people, sometimes people I just didn't even know and like having a good public cry, like pushed me to accept love and support from other people. Aww. I love that. That also to me says, I'm remembering when I went through that phase too. And it's like, feeling your emotions and sort of watching people become uncomfortable with you and deciding to choose yourself over them. It's like, I'm, I realize that you can't hold space for me right now, but I'm going to. So I'm going to do it for me when it doesn't matter what your reaction is. (laughs) And then, you know, what happens as a byproduct when you choose yourself is other people realize that it's safe for them to feel their emotions too. And like you all collectively evolve. Exactly. Exactly. It's so powerful. It's the most powerful thing. Any other thoughts on how you healed your attachment style or continue to heal your attachment style? I don't want anyone to think that it's like one and done. Here's my hot tip of the century. It's half a joke, but I'm so serious. Is practice relationships. Every relationship you have is practice. Like, Your boyfriend, it's not your boyfriend, it's your practice boyfriend until there's a ring on it. And then it's your practice fiance until you get married. And then it's your practice husband. You hear that? You're my practice husband, husband. (laughs) (laughs) Because you know what the secret here is, I feel like, is approaching it with that mindset of it's just practice takes the pressure off yourself. And for a fearful avoidant who usually has huge programming around perfectionism and needing to do things right and being really afraid to like color outside the lines and trigger someone else and like do it wrong or not do it good enough or, you know, all the things by sort of becoming more playful with it, give yourself permission to fuck it up, which then because you're giving yourself permission to do it wrong, you open yourself up to experimenting with different strategies that you wouldn't otherwise utilize, like just communicating differently and setting boundaries because why not? Ooh. 
And then you get different results. Every time I have a practice boyfriend, I become my real boyfriend. That is a trend that I've noticed. Oh, so, I love that. Take that as you will. <laughs> I love that so much. Practice boyfriend. That's amazing. And I've seen that for sure in my own marriage of like, anytime we were in a fight previously, it was to me, it was like the end of the world. And yeah. it meant that our marriage was over. And like, I like would go zero to a hundred in like the span of a second and just think of like end of times instead of just being like, oh, he's upset. And that has maybe something to do with me or not, but I don't have to make it this like huge story of like, this marriage is not perfect and we need to go to counseling right now. <laughs> yeah. Damn. That is something I've seen with fearful avoidance and with anxious preoccupies. It's the making meaning where there is no meaning. It's so hard to not make meaning when you're coming out of not making meaning or when you're coming out. Of, it's, it's hard to not make meaning when you come from meaning making dynamics and when you are taught to make meaning, taught to guess by your caregivers or whoever you grew up with, you created that imprint. It's hard. It's really hard. And it's so powerful to let that shit go. It is. It almost feels scary because it's like when you let go of the meaning, you're letting go of control over your own perception or your perceived control over the situation. Until you get to the other side and then you're like, this is the most freeing yeah. way of living yeah. ever. Yeah, and then you're like, <laughs> I've noticed this, is people are like, maybe I am an extrovert this whole time. And I just thought I was an introvert because I was doing all this emotional math in my head all the time. Around <laughs> all the time. Oh my God, I love that. <laughs> I'm going the other direction, but I love that. <laughs> oh, that's probably the anxious in me. I'm like, I don't need to be outside all the time. <laughs> I love that. Something you just said reminded me of another thing. What was it? Oh, can we talk about hypervigilance? Oh my God. Yes. It's my favorite subject because I feel like this is the fearful avoidant blessing. Like if I were, you know, that, um, thing spiritual people talk about, about like choosing your parents and choosing your life and choosing everything that happens to you. I assume that you could also choose your attachment style when you're up there entering your little uh-huh. order with uh-huh. the big man. I feel like I would choose to be a fearful avoidant again. Just for the hypervigilance. Oh my God, I love that so much. Because it's like a superpower. It really is. Especially when you learn to not make meaning because you can still sense things. And like we were talking about a few minutes ago with physiological differences between being raised fearful avoidant versus being raised secure is you are more receptive. You're going to be more likely to become a highly sensitive person and like make chemicals differently and be receptive to different things and more sensitive to different things. And that it's been a lot of work to get where I am in my attachment style, but I feel like it's been worth it for the amount of intuition I have with people now. So so what is hypervigilance? How would you describe it? Hmm. I'm tempted to just look up the definition. So. <laughs> yeah, why not? Let's just like do that. We're here. We don't want to mess this one up. Yeah. It's, it's the perfectionism, the fearful, fearful avoidance, hypervigilance. It's a state of increased alertness. If you're in a state of hypervigilance, you're extremely sensitive to your surroundings. It can make you feel like you're on alert to hidden dangers, whether from other people or the environment. Often, though, these dangers are not real. That's what Google says. All right. 
What is Google now? (laughs) (laughs) It's not real. What do you mean? (laughs) Yep. So I feel like hypervigilance is literally just living in a state of fire flight constantly being on alert. And there's an element of disconnecting from your own self, like sense of self in order to measure what's happening around you with other people. This is like a stereotype in movies, I think, or was around women, like making things up in the romantic setting and the guy being like, that's fine. You're crazy. But then really he's like cheating or something. Uh huh. Some trope like that. Mm-hmm. But that comes from trauma, spoiler alert. And I tell people all the time that just because you sense something is off and it's irrational doesn't mean that you're wrong. However, it does not mean that what you're thinking is right either. Doesn't mean the like, story is right. <laughs> thank you. Words. Exactly. <laughs> So yeah, listening to that radar is so important because it's telling you something. I love that. I completely like, agree. I can four different conversations in my head. We're going to start with one. We're going to start with this one. So I hypervigilance is like, I think a corner keystone element of a fearful avoidant attachment style. And I think finding out about it for me was just like, Oh, uh, yeah, I do this all the time. I had no idea that I was like outsourcing all the time and not just like living right here. And so, uh, again, chronicling that throughout the day, I was just like, oh, my God. I'm like constantly being like, well, why did my husband answer that question? Why did my husband answer that question the way that he did? Yeah. He must be so mad at me. Because of this text that I sent him two weeks ago that we still haven't talked about. This is not a real example, but like this is like I feel like this is how my brain thinks. And then I'll be like, and then I'll start a fight because then I'll be like, well, if he's gonna treat me like that, then I'm gonna like be all sensitive and and start a fight to have some connection, right? And then once we're in the fight, I'm like, well, you're clearly upset with me. And he's like, I just had a long day at work. I don't know what you're talking about. Like <laughs> This is the cycle. This is the cycle of hypervigilance of like making making meaning where meaning may may or may not exist. So it's like that misplaced perception of like I think that I did something wrong when really it's this person's upset and end of story. Like that should be that should be where it ends, right? Totally. Oh, when you were talking about that, I was just thinking about the classic. I feel like everyone's going to relate to this is you receive a text and the person ends it's just like okay you receive an okay okay and they finish it with a period when you're used to no periods and you're like what what does that mean and then you start spiraling like you just said it's like well maybe i did this thing two weeks ago or what if what if they want to break up with me now? And it's like, it was a period. Just a period. <laughs> it's punctuation. You can relax. I was that hypervigilant texter pretty much through my entire teens when texting started taking off. <laughs> Old now. <laughs> I was like, wow, there was a point in my life when texting wasn't a thing. You're right. I never even thought of that. <laughs> That's when texting started. <laughs> Let me tell you. 
What's <laughs> about young whippersnappers? <laughs> yeah, it was so much emotional energy. That was like my first big breakthrough in therapy is that what I assume about something that I just in my bones believed to be true might not be true. It's not even that it wasn't true. It's that it might not be true. So I can create space for something else to be true. That is like the foundation for my intensive sessions that you've done. The RAS retraining pool. Like, is this true? Is this not 100% true? Even if it's 99% true and there is 1% chance that it could not be true. What is that 1%? Give it permission to breathe because you don't know. And it's okay for you to not know. You don't have to know. There's like all these different layers of reclaiming your freedom as a fearful avoidant just by redirecting your hypervigilance. So if you think about it too, redirecting your hypervigilance back to yourself, the way that you were talking about exploring your emotions, that's some powerful shizzle. Yeah. Yes. And a wonderful like direction outlet for all of that energy and thought. Yeah. 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 Just redirect it back to yourself. I love that. It almost feels... I see this a lot. They're like, I don't want to be selfish. I don't want to put all this energy into myself and be selfish or have people think I'm a narcissist. It's like, I feel like the whole process of just retraining your attachment style, no matter where you fall on the spectrum, is understanding that your perceptions about certain things, like core facets of life are going to be warped. And that's okay because you can unwarp them and you don't have to know. But yeah, returning to yourself and building self-trust is the foundation. That's the goal. That's the goal. I love that. I love that. I love that so much. We talked about a few trigger patterns, but are there any other trigger patterns that you want to talk about? I'm in one right now. Oh, okay. Okay. Spill. It's brutal. Oh my God. It's brutal. So I love talking. I'm I'm loving having this conversation because I'm literally having like a fearful avoidant like backslide. So something that I learned from Rachel is that like fearful avoidance growth is like you climb the mountain and you're going upwards and you're going upwards. And then you have this like huge backslide (laughs) and you have this insane amount of growth. And like Rachel's like the entire time I've known her, which has been a little, a year and a half, she's always like, your growth is exponential. And then I'll have this like huge backslide. And she's like, yeah, that's just normal. And I'm like, thank God I have you in my life. Like this is this is just classic fucking fearful avoidant growth. And so I'm, I've been in this like beautiful kind of more spiritual path recently. And the growth has just been like insane. And right now I'm in this huge backslide of just like really putting all my self-worth into how much money I'm making. And so I had this like wonderful summer financial boom and now I'm looking forward and I don't have anything in the pipeline. And so I'm like, going, doing the anxious, like dog paddling. And then I'm like looking at my numbers for this podcast. And I'm just feeling like there's not enough growth, like questioning and making up all these stories about it. And so I'm in this like total backslide of like making meaning out of things that aren't true, believing the stories, and then really putting all my worth, all my transactional worth into how much money I'm making. And the money thing is a huge pattern trigger for me that I've just noticed because of this beautiful year of like not having a full-time, you know, classic job. It's just, it's just been me. So I get to watch the ebb and flow of like how I feel when, you know, like with each kind of little gig I'm getting. 
So that's definitely a pattern for me. What does money represent for you? I think it's both safety and then also pleasure. Interesting. Is it freedom too? What's the? Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. That's interesting. That just made me think of like, we can have attachment styles to people, obviously, but we can also have it to tangible things like money. So it's like you have a, a disorganized relationship with freedom and security and ultimately money. That's like a focal point of those elements in this framework. But yeah. I don't know. I love it. I love that because as a child, I think it's really easy to, especially with like my background, like I just really didn't grow up with a lot of money. So it's really easy to be like, money will solve all my problems. Everyone around me that I see who has money in like functional families, they all have money. They're like, they seem to be happy. So that has got to be the answer. And then something I like woke up yesterday morning, I was just like, remember how like, that's not necessarily the answer to everything, Sarah. <laughs> like, it's just, it's just not. And even when you have money in the bank, it's not necessarily that just because I have like, just because I've got money in the bank now doesn't mean that I feel secure about my like future in a year, which is like, it's like, it's crazy. It's just crazy. <laughs> the first thing that comes to mind is I just created, I did, this was all of the work I was doing in the morning actually is pulling out patterns of what is the external element that we're attracted to and we're pushing for, like what's the goal, the face of the goal versus what is the core essence of that thing that you're really trying to gain. And then the subconscious programming work is like learning how to manipulate your external environment or your participation with your external environment to support the core essence so that the external thing has a place to land. It's like if you want money, but money represents security and pleasure and freedom, then where else can you create or support security, pleasure, and freedom in your life? So that money, it's almost like carving out the pathway so that the external thing can can be, can come in. Yeah, exactly. Now I'm going to go do that, everyone. Thanks, Rachel. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) We're doing, we're doing a conversation and some live coaching. (laughs) No, I loved it. Thank you. I was like, as soon as this podcast is over, I can't wait to talk to you about this. But we got to talk about it on air, so. Great. It's like my, that's my fearful avoidant baggage or the new manifestation of my fearful avoidant baggage is like wanting to become the guide and the coach and still trying to find a way to contribute so that I feel welcome and accepted and belong, like I belong. So that's interesting. But here's another thought is that I don't think it's, bad to desire all those things. And I think that as a fearful avoidant or coming from a very fearful, any insecure attachment style, I think there's this level of guilt that comes with admitting that you want certain things, but like you're allowed to want to be part of things. You're allowed to want validation. There's nothing intrinsically bad about wanting those things. The bad quote unquote badness comes in when the strategies to get those things are harmful to yourself or others. But that's changeable. That's changeable.
<laughs> I love that. So go do those things, everyone. Yeah, go get your validation. Yeah. You deserve it. I think it's important. I love that. I love that. I want to talk about secure attachment, but then I also want to talk about like, I want to dig a little bit more into like the gifts of the fearful avoidant. Well, I feel like there's two core experiences that are just like you can only get if you are a fearful avoidant. And one is the hypervigilance and the opportunity to just transform that into incredible intuition and people reading skills and an ability to connect with other people. And then understanding both ends of the attachment spectrum plus the fearful avoidant, which is the oscillation between the two. So really you have a core understanding of everywhere on the attachment spectrum, which makes you an incredible teacher, incredible connector. You can't get that if you're just anxious or just avoidant, or if you were born secure, if you're a unicorn, (laughs) not for right, secure. I love that. I'm I'm shocked that you would choose it again. I love that. Maybe it's a good day today, and that's why I'm saying that. <laughs> Ask me again on my next trigger episode. <laughs> I don't want to do this anymore. I'm sick of it. Why? <laughs> it's hard. It's really hard. Yeah. yeah. I don't know it's- if I would choose it again. It's a lot of feeling. You know, what's really interesting I think about sometimes is that fearful avoidance is essentially, that's like a broad statement, but essentially the same as borderline personality disorder. It's not the same. Nobody yell at me because I know there's a huge difference, but the difference is the intensity really. Commonalities, the reason I was thinking of that is it's so hard to feel your feelings for either. And it's almost like the the trauma you go through in order to gain the hypervigilance and all of the crap basically that you have to heal, it expands your capacity to experience emotions in a way that I don't I don't believe you could get elsewhere. I've heard from others that the whole point of being on this planet is to experience emotions. I believe that it's to just feel the whole reason to be is to just feel, which still blows my mind to hear myself say out loud, because let me reiterate how against I was feeling my own feelings for over half of my life and feeling like I was literally going to die if I got stressed past a certain point. So crazy. So point being, I feel like (laughs) the person I'm speaking to isn't going to believe me when I say this, that you can change it. Like it is possible to heal from it, but you don't have to believe me to know that it's true. (laughs) You don't have to, you don't, that's, I find myself saying that a lot is it can feel like this and it doesn't mean that that is true. Ugh. Ugh. I needed to hear that today. You can hold space for both. You can hold space for both. There's room for both. Oh. So what does secure attachment look like to you? I'm going to say boring, but it's not. It's a joke. The goal is secure. (laughs) Yeah. Secure to me feels like emotional autonomy and energetic autonomy and collaborating with other energetic beings instead of being enveloped by them or feeling like it's hard to 
connect to them in the first place. So emotional autonomy and also having a huge capacity for stress and conflict and things like that, because that's probably my favorite part about being more secure now is being able to experience conflict and just let it be what it is and not make more of it. It's like, wow, (laughs) this is so much simpler than I thought it was 10 years ago. (laughs) This is is dare I say easy. Dare I say. So when I first started out, I thought secure meant that you wouldn't have conflict. Me too. And I thought it meant you would never get triggered. And I thought it would meant you'd like never have any problems. Yeah. It's just like easy. It's not true. It's the opposite. It is so the opposite. It's making room for more conflict. It's and that to me has been the biggest shift in my marriage for sure of just like letting it be. Like letting my husband have all the range of emotions because that means I get to have the range of emotions. Oh, I love that. That's a beautiful entry point for shadow work too, is having the capacity to hold space for that. And then also using your experiences that come up, like the triggers and whatever, as a mirror to examine your own relationship to yourself. And then coming back to your relationship with another human in a stronger way. Like there's more of you available for the other person. Absolutely. Absolutely. And not in a perfectionist kind of way. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Being secure and making room for conflict. My favorite quote is, hold on, I want to get it right. Conflict is the entry point for a deeper connection. I said quote, but I made that up. That was me. TM, Rachel Besser, 2021. (laughs) It's the entry point for connection. It's so true. It's so true. So don't avoid it. Or make it mean anything more than just conflict. Or next level, not make it mean anything negative, plus making it mean that you're going to be more connected because of this conflict. Imagine going into an argument with that running in the background automatically. This is a conflict. We're not on the same page right now. Yes, this is stressful. Yes, I'm upset. They're upset. But I know in my bones that we're going to be more connected and not in a trauma bondy way of like, you soothe me, I soothe you. That's what connection is. No. I mean, holding space for each other to genuinely exist on your full spectrum of emotions. It's the difference between interdependence and codependence. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Beautifully put. Beautifully put. Since healing my attachment style, I have, I am now a boss boundary setter. Oh my God. I love that. Boss. That's so exciting. That's so fun. It's so fun. I get so excited. amazing. And I, I look forward to it. I still struggle with like the words when it comes to it, but that doesn't mean I'm not good at setting boundaries. I will no longer buy into that narrative. <laughs> I love that. Okay. I don't know if this is too personal to share, but one time you set a boundary with me and I was like, oh my God, I love that. <laughs> That makes, that makes me feel safe. Oh, because, I love that. You know, because I think this is probably another fearful one thing is being in an environment, raised in an environment where what you say does not match what you feel. And if your parents say things that don't match what they feel, like, yeah, it's fine, but no, it's not fine. And let me go bitch about it to my aunt. And I felt like then there's that element of mistrust. So when someone sets a boundary with me, it's like, oh, they 
like I know where the wall is. I can trust that what they say is going to match what they're feeling. And that makes me feel safe. So safe. Way safer than the other complete bullshit that I still do sometimes. <laughs> Passive aggressive. Not stu- not being truly vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect. I never said I was. And you don't have to be perfect. I was going to say the beauty of being in a fearful, avoidant to secure relationship like you and I have, I feel like, is knowing that these patterns are going to exist and come up. And also knowing that the other one is so dedicated to like evolving and changing it that we don't have to take responsibility for the other one at all. And really trusting that the other one's going to express a need when it comes up. That's what I feel. I love our relationship specifically because I feel those elements so strongly. It's like, you're going to tell me and I can tell you. There's just like a dynamic of safety across a variety of elements within the relationship itself that's so unique to fearful avoidant, fearful avoidant relationships or recovered, recovered slash recovering FAs. Yeah. I love that so much. It's so beautiful. Um, another weird byproduct, and I don't know where this comes from, but maybe you do, is that I used to always run late and now I'm on timer early. That's interesting. Wait, I'm curious about that. Yeah. Why was it late before? It's just this crazy thing now. Like, I don't know if it's my intuition <laughs> because I'll just find myself, like, I used to just be a terrible time planner and now... I'll like be in the middle of something or like running in traffic and like need to get somewhere else. And my body just knows the exact time that I need to leave in order to be on time now. <laughs> That's funny. Your automatic uh, biological clock. It's, yeah. It's like, yes. Time to go. I have that too. It's so weird. weird. This never used to happen. I was notorious late, well, notoriously late. Like one time I was meeting up with a girlfriend, just the two of us for a drink. And I was an hour late. She was waiting for me in the bar for an hour. Like how fucking rude is that? I think it's that chaos. Like I would really get off on that like chaos system of like being late and like feeling in debt to someone else. And and now I'm like, oh, I don't need to get it from there anymore. I'm so curious about that. I'm curious about the stories you were telling before you left or knew it was time to leave versus after you were already late. And I'm also curious about like, I'm sure some of that has something to do with boundaries. And like now that you're great at setting boundaries, there's more emotional energy to pick up on other things, i.e. time, like what time it is. But I had a different experience in that I was always terrified of being late. And now I just want to be on time. So it went from fear to, I guess, security. I don't know oh. if that's really a word, but. And what was tied up in that fear? I'm so curious. Abandonment. It was always when I, I was terrified of being late for my horseback riding lessons. That was like the biggest. I remember crying, like having panic attacks on the way. So if I were, if I were going to be five minutes early instead of fifteen minutes early, I would be crying in the car and like because oh the one barn had a really strict "if you're late, you can't ride" policy. So I'm sure that had something to do with it. But I think on a more subconscious level, it was probably more around control. And this thing, riding horses, horseback riding lessons, met so many of my other needs that I was like, I need, if I can't have this, I'm going to die. So lots of elements there. I feel like it's probably going to be unique 
from person to person, but the theme I noticed from what you're sharing versus what I shared is, again, the transition from chaos, like a system of chaos, to a little more calm and structured. Organized chaos, I would even dare to say. Yeah, organized chaos. I like that because then I still get to feel like I have some adventure in my life. (laughs) I love a little chaos. (laughs) Give me like a little bit. It's the spice of life. It's the spice of life. Exactly. Oh, I love this. Uh, Well, anything else you want to share with us about fearful avoidant attachment style? I just want to send love to all the insecure attachment styles. But I mean, I feel like I have to send extra love to fearful avoidance, even though I don't like playing favorites at all. I like unequal, unequal distribution of resources. My own fearful avoidant baggage. (laughs) but I just think it's so special. Like it's such a special opportunity that is really is not to be super cheesy, but a diamond in the rough experience because it it is very rough. It's very rough being a fearful avoidant and transitioning to a secure attachment style, but it is unlike anything else. Just, I really believe that the capacity you gain as a fearful avoidant and having to go through things that you didn't choose is so powerful. Other people are never going to have that opportunity. So it's expensive. Your hypervigilance is an expensive gift, but <laughs> it is uh, worth it. I think. I love that, and I'm gonna, I'm just, I'm gonna double down on that and say <laughs> that you're loved, and there's nothing wrong with you. There's literally exactly. nothing wrong with you. Well, and if you want to change any part of your attachment style or any program or like systematic fear that you have in your life, you can change it. It's so changeable. So changeable. You don't have to, but you can. Yeah, exactly. The power is all in your hands. hundred percent. Oh, I love that. If anyone is interested in working with you or following along, where can they find you? Uh, rachelbesser.com. R-A-C-H-A-E-L. B-E-S-S-E-R.com or on Instagram at Rachel.Besser. So I do free coffee chats. I just love connecting with people. You can find that on my website. If you want to just hang out on the Zoom machine, I can answer questions. Be of service, however may. Fearful avoidant. The need for contribution never dies. I love that. <laughs> find her, guys. <laughs> I need for contribution. I need for connection. Help her. Help her. She'll help me. Like help her. (laughs) So good. Oh well, thank you so much for being on the show today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure. That's it for today's show. Thank you so 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 much for listening. I really hope you enjoyed. If you have a moment and you're in the Apple Podcast app, please rate and review the show. I could really use all the ratings I can get. And share this episode with a friend that may benefit from it. You never know. And of course, hit subscribe to keep up with new weekly episodes. Until next week, visit sarahcohan.com. That's S-A-R-A-H-C-O-H-A-N 
lidaf.com to find other podcast episodes. And you can find lidaf on Instagram at it's me, Sarah Cohan. And you can also find me on Clubhouse. Thank you again for listening. Please stay lit, lit AF, and I hope to see you back here next week.